Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church podcast, where we share weekly sermons from our church services. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. We are a multi-generational family church located in the heart of Little Rock. Calvary's mission is to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. Whether you've long been part of our church family or are tuning in for the first time, we hope our podcast provides the same kind of welcoming space you'd find here on Sunday mornings. Most of all, we hope this space helps you engage God's Word and grow in your faith. Well, this morning I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, we're going to have a, a story that I think is one of the greatest stories in all of the Bible because it tells us so much about God's heart. And it's also a great story to kind of help us check our own hearts to see if they're lining up with God's heart. So let's turn to John chapter 4. I'm just going to really kind of read the story, uh, let it speak for itself, and then I'll just make some, some kind of comments with some background or some, um, some information that might help us understand it a little better. So let's pick up with John chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. And then verse 4 says, Now he had to go through Samaria. Let's pause right there and just talk about these places that are being mentioned. This was the time of the Roman Empire, and the way the Romans broke up their conquered territories was by breaking them into provinces. And so provinces would have been a lot like uh, states, how we organize our geography in terms of states. They did it by provinces. Judea was the southernmost province uh, of first century Israel. And then Galilee, where Jesus and the disciples were from, was the northernmost province. But right between the two was Samaria. And I think it's interesting in verse 4 it says, but he had to go through Samaria. I think we have a map we can put up and you can kind of see what it looks like. You see Judea down at the south where Jerusalem was. And this is where Jesus was ministering. And you see that if he wants to go to Galilee, the... Uh, fastest, the most direct route, the quickest route, the shortest route would have been to go through Samaria. However, there were other ways to go. You see on this map, they could go to the east, cross the Jordan River just above the Dead Sea, stay on the, uh, the eastern side of the Jordan and continue up past the boundary of Samaria and then cross over back into Galilee. And that's exactly what most of the Jews did. They would take two extra days of travel and all the extra time and energy that that required. Why? Because they did not want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. These two people groups absolutely despised each other and hated each other. There was a tremendous amount of antagonism between these people groups. A lot of bad blood. But it's interesting, it says now he had to go through Samaria. We know from the map that geographically he did not have to go through Samaria. There were other ways to go. Uh, And we know that most Jews usually did not go through Samaria. So why does it say he had to go through Samaria? I think this is an important point here. 
I believe he had to go through Samaria because he had a divine appointment with a Samaritan woman that we will now call and know as the Samaritan woman at the well. And God does still today have divine appointments that he calls his people, his children to. Jesus had a divine appointment. That's why he had to go through Samaria. So let's see what happens. Verse 5, it says, So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Now we have a couple of Bible characters mentioned. You might remember that Jacob was one of the great patriarchs of the Jewish faith and the Jewish faith family. In fact, Jacob had 12 sons, and those 12 sons become the forefathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. So this was a very important person. One of those sons was Joseph, one of the most important ones. And so this was where they had lived. And Jacob had established a well there. And you might remember Joseph later gets betrayed by his brothers. He's the one that ends up in Egypt, rises to power there. But when he dies, he tells his brothers, take me back to the homeland for me to be buried there. And they buried him in a place called Shechem, which is right next to Sychar. This is where it all happened. And this was a very special place because of Jacob and Joseph. And it says, Jesus, tired from his journey, comes to this place. And you have to understand, they're walking in the mountains, very rugged, dry, barren, hot mountains. And it was in the middle of the day. The Bible tells us here it was about noon. And so Jesus, when they get to this well, Jesus is tired. Uh, Jesus, uh, no doubt, is hungry. He is thirsty and he wants to rest. And he's hot. It's in the middle of the day in this desert environment. So he stays by the well, probably had a shade tree, probably sits under a shade tree there. And the other disciples, we find out in just a moment, end up going into the village to search for food. Well, at about noon, while Jesus is there, the disciples have left. Look what happens. Verse 7, it says, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now, that's a little strange, a little unusual. Most of the women would have come early in the morning or even late in the afternoon to draw water. So they would have water for their domestic duties of cooking and cleaning and bathing, all those things that they needed water for. And they would do that when it was cool, the cool of the morning. You have to understand, they were carrying these large water jars. They would fill up from the well. They would, uh, you know, even a, a, a jar that would hold five gallons would weigh 40 pounds. And so you can imagine the difficulty of carrying that. And you certainly wanted to do it when it was cooler, not warmer. Also, it was a time of socializing, we believe, when the women would often gather early in the day to talk or late in the day. And she was not wanting to have any part of that. Why so? Well, we're going to learn in just a moment that this woman had a, a, a moral, um, a checkered moral life, checkered past, if you will. And she was actually living with a man at the time. And in their culture, that was absolutely taboo. It was very, very immoral. And so no doubt she had been shamed and shunned by her village 
perhaps because of that very fact, and she was tired of being the center of their gossip. That's very likely why she came at noon when no one would be there. But on this day, she was probably disappointed to see that there was someone there. It was a man, and it was a Jewish man. But she knew the rules, the social rules. She knew that he was probably going to just ignore her, and so she could just ignore him, get her water, and go on about her day. No big deal. But she is surprised by Jesus. She came to draw her water, and Jesus asked her, Will you give me a drink? That's verse 7. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, where do we get this animosity, all of this lack of associating with each other, this hatred, this bad blood? Where does it come from? Well, the Bible tells us that about 700 years before Jesus walked on this earth, there had been a, an invasion of the northern kingdom of Israel. This was back in a time where they'd had a civil war, and there were two Jewish nations, the, the northern kingdom of Israel, and its capital was Samaria, and then you had the southern kingdom of Judah. God was very concerned about his people at this time, and he sent all the prophets. We read about a lot of them in the Old Testament to warn them, to try to help them get back on path. And uh, the people in the southern kingdom had some godly kings, and they did heed some of those warnings, but the ones in the north did not. Bad kings, very uh, disobedient kings, a foster, a culture that fostered idolatry was part of their world. So God allows them to be conquered by a foreign empire called Assyria. And the Assyrians, when they conquered a people group, would cart off all of the elite, the royalty, the wealthy, the people of power, and they would enslave them in Assyria. And then the ones that were left, which would be most of the lower class people, would then, they would import other refugees, other conquered people groups. And they did that, I think, just to keep the whole culture uh, unstable. It would be very difficult for these people to unite. They couldn't even speak the same language at first. And so it would be very difficult for them to mobilize a revolution, a revolt against them. And so they just kept everything unstable. And all of these Gentiles come in. The capital of the northern kingdom of Israel was Samaria. So this is where most of those people live. So they mixed, eventually they intermarried. So you develop a mixed culture. And they even mixed religions. They had a core base of Judaism. But then they would bring in these pagan ideas and ideologies into it. For that reason, the Jews did not want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. They saw the Samaritans as being ethnically polluted. They saw them as idolatrous half-breeds. They were very religiously confused and morally debased. And they didn't want to have anything to do with them. And so therefore, because they were constantly shunning the Samaritans and the Jews were very prejudiced against them, the Samaritans returned the favor. And they hated the Jews and were very prejudiced against the Jews. In fact, it had become kind of dangerous to do what Jesus is doing, and that's to travel through Samaria uh, at this time because of all the bad blood. So the woman knows this. And so Jesus speaks to her. 
And by doing this, he's breaching all the social customs. He's breaking all of the social boundaries, crossing the social boundaries, breaking the social rules by even talking to her. Jews do not talk to Samaritans. Jewish men don't talk to Samaritan women. We certainly know that uh, even asking her for a drink of water would make him ceremonially unclean if he drank from a cup or ate from a dish of a Samaritan in his religious background. That's what the tradition said. And yet he speaks to her and asks her for a drink. And so then he says to her in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? And I think this is kind of a a tongue-in-cheek response. This is a, a kind of a spunky little woman here. And I think she's basically saying, who do you think you are? Do you think you're greater than our great forefather? Jacob, and Jesus is basically going to say, oh, absolutely, I am greater. And he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become to them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I love that verse. You know, there are so many people out there whose souls are dry and parched and thirsty. And Jesus is saying, I've got the answer to that. I've got living water that will quench your parched souls. And those of us who've walked with the Lord, who've uh, really tried to go deep with the Lord, we understand that. We know that, don't we? We know how good it is. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Drink deep from this well of living water and we experience it. It's so good, so beautiful. But those who don't know the Lord don't have that. And literally their their souls are parched. And Jesus wants to fix that in this woman's life. And so the woman said to her, or him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, of course, she's still thinking we're talking in the literal sense, physical water, when Jesus is really talking in the figurative sense and talking about spiritual water. And so Jesus just basically says, all right, verse 16, he says, go call your husband and come back. Now, Jesus shifts the subject here. This is an important shift. And then she says, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Now, if you want to get somebody's attention, if you want to just say something very personal about them that you absolutely should not know, and you'll have their attention. This happened only one time that I'm aware of in my life. When I was in high school, it was really a strange thing. I had a friend that came over and we visited uh, together. He was at my house and then we were leaving. I think we were going to work out. We were both football players on the high school football team. We were gonna go to lift weights. It wasn't football season. 
It was during the springtime, but I think that's what we were doing. And while we were going to get in our car that was in my driveway, uh, a, a man shows up. And he was a young man, very outgoing and vivacious. And he told us his name, asked us our names. <clears throat> and basically, uh, we said, oh, yeah, we're, we're headed to work out. I think we said that much. And he said, oh, y'all are football players, aren't you? And we said, yeah, yeah, we are. And that wouldn't be too hard to guess, right? We were so bowed up and muscular, right? <laughs> and so anyway, that wasn't what stood, this, stood, stood out to me. But then he looked at us and he said, let me guess. He pointed to me and he said, you're the quarterback. And he pointed to my friend, Kelly, and he said, you're the running back. And we were like, what in the world? Now, I know you can kind of profile football players, like if they're at NFL stage or even college, but in high school, you could have a skinny little guy that's on the big line, you know? And so it's really hard to kind of know. And I could have easily played running back or receiver, and Kelly very easily could have been the quarterback, but he nailed it. And we were like, whoa. And from that point on, this guy had us eating out of the palm of his hand. <laughs> Turns out he was a salesman been in sales school, and he was trying to win this very important con uh, competition at the end of his sales meeting, and he just said, would we help him out? Of course we were going to help him out, and buy some magazines from him. Had all these magazine subscriptions that we could choose, and of course Kelly didn't live there, had no money. He had an out, but he knew I lived there, and he basically had me convinced that I needed to help him out. And I go rob my piggy bank and all of my lawn mowing money ends up going to buy an order of Sports Illustrated. And Kelly and I get in the car after the man leaves and we were like, whoa, what just happened? How did that guy know that about us? And then Kelly said, dude, you think you'll ever see that magazine? <laughs> and I said, man, I don't know. And, uh, but I had given my money. And sure enough, the next month, I started getting Sports Illustrated for the next three years. Because <clears throat> that was the minimum order. The point is, even in that kind of superficial realm, I was super impressed by this man and his knowledge. And things he shouldn't have known, he was able to know. But you can imagine how this woman felt when Jesus reveals these things about her. But it's personal and it's sensitive. So she changes the subject. She says to him, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, by this time, the temple of, in Jerusalem had been built. And while that was happening, we read about this in the Old Testament as well. There was a rival temple. There was uh, disputes back and forth between the Samaritans. And they had actually built a rival temple called Mount, El Mount Gerizim that would have been towering over this place where they were at. They could look up, she had probably pointed. And she said, which one is the right temple? And Jesus has a great line here. He says, basically, there is a time coming. He says, the Jews got it right. That is the right temple. But there is a time coming and is now here when it's no longer be about place or rituals, religious rituals. God is looking, the Father seeks people who worship him in spirit and in truth. This is verse 24. That's what he's looking for now. People that know and believe in him and then through the Holy Spirit have a relationship with him is what he's talking about. That's the type of worshipers that God wants. And then the woman says, and I think she's a little suspicious, and their faith 
Even the Samaritan belief that had been mixed with paganism, they still believed there would be a Jewish Messiah that was going to be great. And he would answer all the hard questions. And she said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And I think she was kind of uh, guessing. She believed, I believe, that perhaps it was Jesus. He was so different and beautifully different. And Jesus confirms that. He says, I, the one speaking to you, am he. And immediately, we're told, the woman leaves her water jar and immediately goes to the village of Sychar, immediately begins to tell people, here's this guy I met that knows everything about me. Could he be the Messiah? And the next thing you know, all of these villagers are coming out to meet Jesus, want to know Jesus. The disciples show up with food, but Jesus is no longer hungry. He says, man, I've got food to eat that you know not of, and that's to do the will of my Father. Look at the spiritual harvest, he says. It's coming. The people and it was a glorious and exciting time. And you look at the end of this story, verses 39 and following. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. Remember, these are the hated enemies of the Jews. Stays two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. What a great story. <clears throat> we learn from this some key things. One is that Jesus is the savior of all people everywhere. And we got to remember that. He's the savior of the Jews Back in Jesus' day, he was the savior of the Samaritans. He's the savior of the Israeli people living in Israel today. He's the savior of the Palestinians living today. He's the savior of Americans. He's the savior of Russians. He's the savior of, of Iranians, North Koreans. All of these are so-called enemies from a national standpoint. From a Christian standpoint, we are called to love our enemies and to see them as part of our mission. This is a missional calling. God wants to be the savior of all people everywhere. We know him. And we've got to go tell him with excitement, just like she did. What a beautiful thing. It's another thing to, to understand that Jesus loves all people. He loves the unloved. And we should too. This woman was a very unloved person. The Jews didn't love her because she was a Samaritan. The Samaritans didn't love her because she was an outcast, living an immoral life. Some of her husbands apparently didn't love her because they had divorced her, set her to the curb, sent her to the curb, set her aside. She probably didn't even love herself, but Jesus loved her. And we too must love people just like her. And we all have people in our lives that God puts in our lives that need us to love them in this way, need us to offer our Jesus to them so that they can find hope and life and healing and forgiveness, just like we have. All of those things are vitally important. Jesus wants worshipers that are authentic, that worship him in spirit and in truth. What a beautiful thing that we get to do is worship him in that way through this relationship. They need that too. 
And we love that. I love that about this story. And Jesus believes that the spiritual harvest is the most fulfilling thing that could ever happen. Don't you want to be part of a spiritual harvest? Like a revival, we use that word. Wouldn't that be cool if the spirit starts moving and people start coming to faith just like those Samaritans did? What if that happened right here? And it's going to happen only if you and I are willing to testify like she testified about Jesus and how good he is, how real he is, and how much we enjoy him and know him and experience him. And that's really what we offer. And if some of you are here today and maybe you've not yet made this choice, today can be your day of salvation. We pray that it will. He is real. And he really will give living water. He really will save your soul and give you a purpose that is way beyond this world. And that is to be part of his kingdom mission. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church podcast. If you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us in person each Sunday morning. Our contemporary worship service is at 9 a.m. and our traditional service is at 11.15. For more information, be sure to check out our website, cbclr.org.